Hello, this is Daniel Poppy, pastor at Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope this message will help you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, you can do so by visiting theroadfc.org and click on the giving link. Well, in 1980, as a spunky uh, kindergartner, I don't remember much of this, but I have heard stories. We moved to Gaithersburg, Maryland from Texas. My dad was working for IBM, which lovingly was kind of referred to as I've been moved rather than international business machines. He had a, he had a handful of uh, transfers, but we did as you do. We looked up the Nazarene church in Gaithersburg and that was our home from day one. And um, as we begin to know the people in the Gaithersburg church, the name of Cunningham began to come up quite often. Um, we knew the Cunningham family in Gaithersburg. Uh, Mrs. Cunningham, Floyd's mother, Eleanor, was one of my favorite people. She had a way of endearing herself to almost anyone. Fast forward about 25 years to Melissa and I and the kids moving to the Manila, Philippines to be missionaries. And as we once again got familiar with a community of people um, around our mission organization, the name of Cunningham was right there again. Uh, we were surprised and uh, delighted to know that Floyd Cunningham, Eleanor's son, was serving as a missionary in the Philippines. The dean of, at the time, the academic dean and professor at, at, at Asia Pacific Theological Seminary there in Manila. What a coincidence and what a small world it felt like. You know, over those five years in Manila, Floyd and us, we kind of worked adjacently to one another. Uh, Floyd has his focus and we had ours, but I was consistently impressed and consistently reminded of just Floyd's humble and gentle wisdom and um, great leader, great historian for our church. As you'll hear from uh, Floyd's presentation in just a few minutes, his passion for the Lord and the Lord's grace is evident. Belief that Christ is able to redeem and to renew and to rebuild all that is hurt and broken and lost. So you're looking forward to these stories. I was also kind of, um, I know this is already getting long. Floyd's probably squirming. I'm sorry, Floyd. But I was reminded last night that Floyd has a Wikipedia page. <laughs> it's too good to pass up. Uh, Floyd Timothy Cunningham, born uh, August, September 22, should I say the year? 1954, is an American historian and an ordained minister who has been a global missionary in the Philippines for the Church of the Nazarene since 1983. Let's see, he served as the fifth president of Asia Pacific Nazarene Theological Seminary from July 1st, 2008 until August 3rd, 2023. Cunningham serves currently as Distinguished Professor of History of Christianity at APNTS and is the author of Holiness Abroad, Nazarene Missions in Asia, and the editor and co-author of Our Watchword and Song, The Centennial History of the Church of the Nazarene. The accolades go on and on and on. But it also includes things like um, the history, 
that includes a, a sister who is a uh, Christian romance novelist. I didn't know that was even a genre, but there that is, right on the Wikipedia page. Also, his mother's secretarial career at Gaithersburg Public School Systems. And uh, you could even hear about his childhood rearing days at 715 Crab Avenue in Rockville, Maryland. They have it all. Um, um, Apparently, his page is just a few hundred words longer than George Washington's, our first president of the United States. So <laughs> Floyd is in good company. Um, sorry, Floyd, for embarrassing you, but we're really looking forward to what you have to share for us. Please come. Let's welcome Floyd Cunningham. Morning. I paid someone to write the Wikipedia page, of course. <laughs> It's actually a former student who is in Australia with a little bit too much time on his hand. <laughs> and uh, it's scary how much he found online. It, just be careful, everybody, what you, what's there. Well, um, it's a joy to be with the Poppy family. And uh, thank you for your hospitality. It's been great to be with you staying with you in your house and appreciate the privilege. Every Church of the Nazarene has its own personality but I appreciate the spirit of your worship, and this would be a church that certainly I would attend if I were living and retiring someday in this area. Well, I'm speaking this morning from, um, I'm not seeing the screen back here, but the um, theme of it is quite maybe different than most missionary talks. It is coming from a passage of scripture in Matthew chapter 19, verses 13 and 14. Okay, so why don't you even read it with me together? Then little children were brought to Jesus to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. Asia Pacific Nazarene Theological Seminary is this uh, oasis of beautiful mango trees and avocados and banana plants and papaya growing wild on campus amid a city of 300,000 people, which is adjacent to Metro Manila, which is 12 million people. But it has been a wonderful place to have spent the last 40 years. And even the two years during the pandemic, it was a beautiful place to be stranded. Some missionaries were back here and were not able to go back to their field. Thank the Lord, I was there when the pandemic came. And so there is this one bridge that crosses a stream that is right in the middle of the campus. And that has been significant, symbolic for us, and the theme of our school from the time the school began has been bridging cultures for Christ. Because we have students who come not only from the Philippines, but from all over Asia and the Pacific and across the years from an increasing number of countries uh, in India and Africa and the United States and Canada and Europe and even South America. They have uh, increasedly, increasingly had a prominence in our student body. Even during the pandemic, there were people who were finding us. 
online. So it has been this uh, wonderful experience to have students from all these different cultures and these different places in my classes across the years and to see what God is doing in their lives through Facebook, keeping track of those who have graduated many, many years ago, and to know that God has been leading them and directing them in their ministry is certainly a great joy. So as I said, they come from all of these different cultures and places where there are different religions, Hinduism and Buddhism and Shintoism, indigenous religions, as well as Catholicism and Protestantism, and what could possibly draw all of these people together in one place? It is this affirmation. Read it with me also. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. This creek that runs through the middle of the campus is called Tungtong in Tagalog, which means stepping stone in English. It's significant because APNTS, the school, has been a stepping stone for students in their lives in so many different ways. They're preparing for a different place of ministry, a different type of ministry. They're finding their lifetime partner often at APNTS. We have weddings and then we have babies being born, and then we have children on our campus, and they are in our chapels, and they are in our uh, campus, sometimes in our classrooms. So that there are children here this morning is perfectly wonderful. To me, there is this stream, as I said, in the middle of it, the campus, and the stream is separated from us by a hollow block wall, a concrete wall that goes around the campus. And just on the other side of that hollow block wall is a community, a squatter community, we call it, but it's actually the Rowenus community, a place that is the Rowenus community. And it is the poorest of the poor who live there, who have erected their houses from scraps of wood and plywood, whatever they could find to build it, and so they use that creek for many different kinds of purposes. It's not clean when it goes underneath the bridge, but God has somehow in the last few years enabled us to reach out into that community. Well, as was mentioned, and as you would read, <laughs> I teach church history and I have uh, no children, and so when one of my students, Dan Belayo, a few years ago, invited me to attend a holistic child development conference, holistic child development didn't make too much sense to me. I didn't know what the words strung together exactly implied. And I was uh, academic dean at the time and interim president and I didn't know why I would want to go to a holistic child development conference. But Dan Belayo, he was in charge of child sponsorship for the country of the Philippines. And uh, today he's actually a district superintendent. He said, I will pay your way. <laughs> and it's in Chiang Mai, Thailand. So why not? He persuaded me that even I, a church historian, should go to this conference in Chiang Mai, Thailand. 
he had already made contact with some of the people, knew some of the people at the conference, including uh, Patrick McDonald, Irish. And so Dan introduced me to Patrick. And when Patrick found out that I was from the Church of the Nazarene, he said, Church of the Nazarene, wonderful. We're so happy that you're here. You're the only denomination in the world that has declared a decade of the child. And I looked at Dan and said, I, with my eyes, what is, what is he talking about? <laughs> and uh, it's just that that information had not trickled over into the theological schools of the missions of the Church of the Nazarene somehow. But yes, Patrick McDonald, an Anglican, knew that the Church of the Nazarene had this decade of the child, and he was so impressed to have us as being part of it. During that conference in Chiang Mai, there were these tremendous, incredible speakers. A lot of them connected with Compassion International, but one of them, Phyllis Kilborn, she talked about her experiences in Liberia and Kenya and Africa, and in Liberia especially, that she had worked with children who were torn apart emotionally in war, in battle, in conflict. And she had written and she spoke passionately about intervention strategies for children in all, with all kinds of needs. I, I found out later she's Nazarene. She's worked for WEC, a particular mission organization, but Nazarene across those many years of her life and ministry. And I met Daniel Brewster there, who does work, did work before he passed away uh, just recently for Compassion International. Now, I know here in Colorado, uh, you probably have heard of Compassion, and it turns out that APNTS has partnered with Compassion uh, tremendously, incredibly across these years. So Daniel was uh, someone I got to know, but during this conference in Chiang Mai, he was saying that he personally was not like teaching a Sunday school class. He was not working with children on a daily or even weekly basis, but he had thought that God had called him to be a spokesman or an advocate for children in the particular place that God had called him to in compassion. So when he said that, I said to myself, even though I don't teach children, don't plan to teach children Sunday school, I probably should have more contact with children in my ministry, but even if I don't, that I have a place as academic dean and president of a theological seminary somehow to be an advocate for children in crisis. That was quite an amazing, uh, significant moment for me when I sat in that conference, heard these speakers. I remembered one of our professors uh, Robert Donahue had a ministry to street children there in Tai Tai and in Antipolo nearby. We had had Mrs. Nielsen, our president's wife, who had a kids club and invited children on campus from the surrounding community. Hearing about, even from Patrick, about the ways in which the Church of the Nazarene was known for this, that I realized that um, yes, this is something that God is speaking to me about as I listen to these passionate speakers about the needs of children in crisis and what could we possibly do. 
So they talked about needs like this, the spiritual void of children, the poverty, the physical hunger, the ways in which children around the world, you listen to the news and you know that children are caught in war situations, that they are from broken families. And uh, as we came to know the people of our surrounding community, yes, broken families and physical abuse and disease and 1.5 million homeless children just in the Philippines and around the world, 100 million homeless children, according to um, agencies of the UN and online exploitation going on of children. So when I listen to this kind of description of the ways in which children in the world are in crisis, my heart was broken. And compassion was actually saying to us at that conference, which was supposedly for Bible college and seminary teachers and leaders, that they would pay the salary of a professor should we want to hire someone to spearhead a program in holistic child development. So as soon as I got back to the Philippines, I wrote to Dan Brewster and said, yes, sign APNTS up immediately we want to find someone to lead our holistic child development program. And within a few months, one of our graduates who'd been working with Compassion in Davao, uh, Mindanao, in the Philippines, she came as faculty with her little girl and her husband. And ever since, she's been on our faculty at APNTS. When I went to a similar conference in Wheaton, Illinois, a year after that, I was in line uh, waiting, you know, getting food, uh, at, in the cafeteria and someone behind me in the line asked me who I was and what I was doing and I said I was a seminary teacher in the Philippines with the Church of the Nazarene and she said Nazarene I've never been in a Nazarene church I have no idea what you believe the only thing I know about the Church of the Nazarene is that you are the church that cares for children in crisis around the world and she asked me if we were not something like the Salvation Army. <laughs> and wow, I was really amazed that that is the perception that some people have around the world of the Church of the Nazarene, that we are the church that cares for children in crisis. Dan Brewster and others talked about a 414 window. Some of you have heard of this. Some of you, maybe, 414 window. A few years ago, they talked so much in missions about a 1040 window, right? That latitude of people who are unreached. And Dan Brewster talked about another window of opportunity, a 414 window. And maybe you're already figuring out what this might mean in this context. It is that there is a window of opportunity of children between the ages of 414 to come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And if they commit themselves between those ages to Christ, you have someone who is committing their whole life, their whole future to Christ. I remember Dan Brewster saying that he'd been in so many missions conferences for so many years of all kinds of different denominations, parachurch organizations, hold missions conference. And so few times is there any mention of children 
in those missions conferences. And as he said, the children are the ones who are most receptive, most susceptible, most tender to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he called that, others have called it to the great omission in missions that we have not reached children, haven't been interested in including that incredible opportunity for missions around the world. But then what can we do as a graduate level theological seminary, international school of the Church of the Nazarene, what exactly is it that we could do, we should be doing? What is God telling us that we should do? And so we had the things that you might think of for a graduate level theological seminary to begin a holistic child development program, graduate certificate, graduate diploma, MA in holistic child development, even PhD in holistic child development. So that if you Google that, <laughs> holistic child development graduate programs, I think APNTS will be at the top of the list. Holistic child development graduate level programs. We're like the only one in the world <laughs> that has a PhD in holistic child development. When I've told people about that, they've said something like, well, you're the Church of the Nazarene. Of course you have a program like that. So in addition to those things, I've mentioned the partnership with Compassion International. We tried computer literacy partnership with Microsoft. That was out of the box. We tried a high school diplomacy completion program for the people next door to us who were the squatters, the poorest of the poor. Not something graduate level theological seminaries usually think about. And mostly seeing the child in the midst. That was a phrase that, that hit us in so many different ways. To see the child in the midst. And so that's why when we have children in chapel, it reifies to us, conveys to us, this is what we're all about. This is kind of the theme that APNTS has been God-led to choose. So when our students, whether they're studying for, to be pastors or to be teachers or to be missionaries, whatever they're studying, not just the religious education people, whatever they're studying, if they attend APNTS, they will have an emphasis in their life and ministry upon children and see the child in the midst. So when our students were out going, walking outside the gates of our campus, there's a McDonald's within walking distance and a KFC within walking distance. But they, see, they saw underneath this bridge, it's not the same bridge that crosses in the middle, but still the same creek. They saw living under the bridge a group of children, homeless children. Homeless, not that they don't have parents, but they don't have, their parents are unable to feed them. There are other brothers and sisters in the homes that are younger. And the parents will say to some of them when they get a certain age, we can't feed you anymore. You'll have to live somewhere else, find your own way in the world when they're eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 years old. And so uh, they group themselves together, in this case, living underneath that bridge just outside our campus. Well, how could our students not see? How could our students not respond? So they began to minister to them. And especially on Saturday mornings, they invited them into our campus. You know, the first thing that they wanted and needed 
place to have a clean bath. And so the, the students help for them to find a place to bathe. That creek is too dirty, of course, and provide clean clothes and provide some food and have Bible stories and daily vacation Bible school lessons kind of like with them. And our students did this without asking the administration, without asking permission, without trying to raise money from anyone. And you know students don't have money, but they did all of this from their own initiative because they saw children in crisis. And here was a way in which they could help. So we were building bridges to the people outside our walls. And so this community continued to grow across the years. And sometimes we didn't pay much attention to how much was going on on the other side of that wall. But God led us at a certain stage in our life as a community to realize that though we were not a church, we were still a people of God and as a people of God called to be holy. So we began to figure out what, it, what are the needs of the people in that community and what is it like to grow up as a child in that community? The first thing is you... If you have meals three times a day, and most of them don't, but every meal will have rice. And it's not a meal unless it is rice. And so they will have rice when they have a meal. And sometimes they are so poor, they will open a small can of sardines with some sauce in the sardines and they will share that one can of sardines with a family of eight. That's one aspect of it. And the, the families in this community, there are 600 families, and there are, I'm not sure how many children, but I think at least seven people living in one very, very small home, very, very small place. Seven, I think at least people living in that kind of place. And so the parents are so poor, they don't have money to send their children, all of their children to school. School is free in the Philippines, but there are not big yellow school buses <laughs> picking up people, in, especially in the squatter areas. So the children have to find their own way to school. And it's amazing how little children can get on tricycles or jeepneys if they have money to pay for the tricycles or jeepneys to get to the schools. And they have to have clothes and they have to have book. They have to have money for paper and pencils. And every time the teacher gives a test, the teacher will sell one of the test papers to the students for 25 centavos. It's about two pennies, but for people in the squatters community, that's a lot. And so the parents will say to one of the children in their home, you can go to school this year, but we don't have money for your brother. So the brother will stay out. The sister will go to school that year and they'll switch it around the next year so that often 16 years old and you're in sixth grade and 
being 16 years old in the sixth grade is not a great experience. <laughs> and so they will just drop out and stop attending school at about the age of 12 or 13 or 14 years old. And that is so typical. And so when you're out of school, have no interest in going back to school, you're too old to be in those elementary school grades, what do you do? You get into trouble. And so there are within that community, the Rowena's community, uh, groups of, of boys and, and girls and they're uh, sniffing glue. Later on, they get high on other kinds of drugs. And so their life is hopeless and they don't know exactly what their future might be. Again, God was saying to us as a community at APNTS, even though you're not a church, you're still a people of God. And what does it mean for you here in this place as a people of God to be a people of God called to be holy? So as a, as a historian, I know that our forefathers in the faith, grandfathers, great-grandfathers in the faith in the Church of the Nazarene asked, answered this question in different ways, in different places, in different times. But it seems like the kind of question that Nazarenes always need to keep asking of themselves in every generation, every time, every place. What does it mean for you here and now in this place to be a people of God called to be holy? Amen. And so we got into cleaning the creek, shoulder to shoulder, side by side. One of the problems is the dengue fever, which is spread by mosquitoes that don't seem to know the difference between one side of the wall and the other side. And so we got to know them and the needs, and they need water. The government doesn't pick up the trash. What can we help to do about those kinds of things? and began to uh, see the needs for sanitation in that place. Our students, again, spontaneously went there and held Bible studies in the homes and Sunday school lessons kind of thing for the children on this, this narrow, narrow pathway that separated these homes from the creek. Without, again, any other impetus, just a spontaneous, beginning to be a spontaneous response to the needs of the people in that community. So one of our themes one semester was the Lord is gracious and compassionate. Every sermon was about the Lord is gracious and compassionate. Okay, the Lord is gracious and compassionate. So then we had this uh, storm, a typhoon, and that little tiny creek that's usually a trickle underneath the bridge became this raging, rushing river so quickly that many of the houses of those neighbors on the other side of the wall was washed down the creek so quickly, so immediately. And uh, the Lord is gracious and compassionate. What does that mean for us? The neighbors on the other side of that wall began to come over the wall. And I'd remembered in administrative council meetings, we had debated this because sometimes our neighbors came across the wall. It wasn't hard to do to get some of those mangoes and avocados and papayas and the, and the wood, the sticks that are underneath the trees that they take back over the wall to use for cooking. We had debated maybe we should build a bigger, better, higher wall 
Maybe we should put some jagged glass on the top of the wall. Maybe we should put some barbed wire on the top of the wall. But instead of building a bigger, better, higher wall, we decided to build relationships. So when the rains came down and the floods came up, is there a song like that? When the rains came down and the floods came up and the neighbors came over the wall, they knew that they were welcome in our place. And we knew that they were welcome in our place. So we went to our closets and got dry clothes. We boiled water for rice. We uh, had opportunities for ministry to the children of the community who came across. We just happened to also be keeping on our campus crisis care kits and everything in that crisis care kit was very important to people who had lost everything. And so out of the relationships that we built across the years, how different the life of the people is in that community. And I've asked people in the community, is your is the, is the Rowena's community different than it was 10 years ago, 15 years ago? And they will say, it's very different. People, I think the biggest difference is hope, change, the possibility of transformation in that community is there among the young people. Well, Bill Kwan, some of you might remember it. I don't know if he, I think maybe he's been here. He was in my Doctrine of Holiness class and uh, was talking about holiness. And I was saying that, you know, holiness is not something that is here as a doctrine. It is, of course. It's not even something that is here as an experience. It is. But it is also something that is here in our hands. And Bill Kwan said, if that's true, we have to do more for the people in that community. So he linked the children in that community, like a, a, a child sponsorship program, linked children in that community to Korean churches of the Nazarene. And they began to send support. And the children in that community began to have money to be gave, able to go to school on a ready, steady basis go on to finish elementary school and then high school and even for some of them going on to college. And it's because those Korean Nazarenes cared and Bill Kwan was able to arrange this. And so out of all of these experiences, people's lives were transformed. Church of the Nazarene was planted in the heart of that community. It's called the River of Life, Church of the Nazarene. Yes, there are still problems. A lot of the problems are with alcohol. And if a husband, father gets drunk, comes home, and is abusive, threatening the children, threatening the wife, there is a place of refuge in the middle of that squatter community, and it is the river of life Church of the Nazarene, a place to run. And so APNTS has been involved among the partners in bringing breakthrough 
to those people. One example of many might be Jepoy, who was from a broken home. His parents were not married when he was born. His father later found another woman. His mother later found another man. And he had children, she had children. He was raised by grandparents who didn't care a lot about him, didn't give him a lot of attention in the middle of that community. So he was on his way to being one of those young people, part of a gang, not going to school in and out. And he was in and out of school. But the pastor's wife of the River of Life Church of the Nazarene, Joy Natividad, came to have special attention, give him special affection, and sent him to a Nazarene children's camp where he met Christ as his savior and ever since his life has been different. So today, Jepoy is studying to be a teacher, studying to be a pastor, and not only that, this is a fascinating, interesting thing to me, but that River of Life Church of the Nazarene that's made up of the poorest of the poor, came to know about a group of people about two hours away, Dumagat people who are tribal people who did not yet know Jesus Christ as their savior. And they decided that they would take the gospel to them from this river of life, Church of the Nazarene, alongside that dirty creek. They found a people who lived alongside a really good sized river but yet who did not know Jesus Christ. And they took the gospel to them. So every Sunday, Japoy is there. This boy sponsored by Korean Nazarenes so that he could finish school, now studying in college, but whose life could have been so different. Taking the gospel to those people, the Dumagat people. Well, transformation and hope. That's what the Church of the Nazarene offers. That's what the gospel of Jesus Christ offers. And that's what you enable transformation in people's lives by your giving to Nazarene missions. And it's been an incredible privilege for me to have been part of this mission of the Church of the Nazarene for more than 40 years. And I am glad that I'm going back in January to the place where I've been. Thank you for letting me share with you. Appreciate your listening. Hmm. Amazing. Are you inspired? Are you blessed? You know, there's many organizations that are doing tremendous things all around the world. Um, but I have a soft spot for the mission of the Church of Nazarene. Obviously, Melissa and I have dedicated our lives to that type of service and blessed to have had those opportunities. I was there when Andoy hit. I wasn't on campus because we were stranded with water between us and the campus, but some of that uh, crisis care kit stuff, I remember participating in that. Um, what a beautiful way that the church mobilized and immediately took action. They didn't have conferences or debates. They just simply started to work. And um, I hope you noticed in Floyd's presentation that 
this is not just the work of one, it's the work of many. And I'm grateful for APNTS and Floyd, when it was under his direct leadership, made space for people to bless others the way the Holy Spirit inspired them. That's a beautiful testimony. Well, um, how, how to respond to a moment like this. You have inside of your worship folder a prayer card with Floyd's picture on it, a few details. At the very least, please be playing, praying for Floyd and the work of Asia Pacific Nazarene Theological Seminary, the work of the Holistic Child Development Program. On his prayer card, there are some details if you would like to give towards his mission fund. There's information on how to do that. I know sometimes it can be confusing because we have a lot of acronyms and a lot of different ways to participate in giving for missions in the Church of the Nazarene. There's really two primary things to remember. We talk about faith promise around here very frequently. There's an insert in your bulletin on faith promise. Faith promise is the global support of the Church of Nazarene for missions programs. That includes salaries. We are one of the few denominations that provides the basic needs for missionaries to be mobilized around the world. So part of Floyd's support has come through our faith promise giving. So in one way or another, we've been giving towards his support. Uh, Faith Promise also supports our higher education institutions. So Asia Pacific Nazarene Theological Seminary receives money from our Faith Promise giving. There's, there's lots of details there. But there is also the truth that, and Melissa and I experience this many times, oftentimes that kind of basic funding doesn't cover the above and beyond needs. When a car breaks down, when there's an emergency trip to the hospital or whatever, even Floyd's travel here in the United States, these come out of what's called his deputation funds. So his above and beyond fundraising. So I would like to encourage us today to bless Floyd. He, he would hate, he's probably cringing that I'm talking about this, but we would love to bless him through our giving. How we'll do that today, of course, we have our giving boxes in the foyer. There's information how to give online. Any undesignated giving today, we'll just pass along to Floyd. If you'd like to give directly to Floyd through a check or through uh, electronic giving, either put in the memo of your check or on the giving envelope in front of you, or even when you're giving online, if you choose to fund missions, We'll pass that right along to Floyd. So any giving today, we'll make sure it gets to Dr. Cunningham. And of course, as we continue in the weeks and months and years ahead, we continue to give generously to Faith Promise. So thank you so much for your generosity. This church is a church that gives. We're not strapped. We're so blessed. So thank you so much for the way you support not only this church body, but the global work of the Church of the Nazarene in very generous and mighty ways. I'm talking about giving in this kind of order. We typically talk about giving right after we've received at the table because, of course, our giving is an outflow of the generosity that we experience by coming to the table of Christ. So in just a moment, we will gather around this table. But before we do, I'd like to lead us in a prayer a prayer very familiar to many of you. A prayer that aligns our hearts and our values and specifically our relationship with what we have, our money, with the heart of the Lord. Let's pray. Let's pray this prayer of generosity. I'll lead it for us. Godliness with contentment is great gain. We bring nothing into this world 
and we take nothing out of it. We who call Jesus Lord, devote ourselves to resisting greed, which plunges the human heart into ruin, pierces it with many griefs. We are determined to practice generosity with free hearts, fixing our hope on God and not the uncertainty of wealth. We desire to be rich in good deeds, willing to share all that we have and laying up for ourselves treasure that will not decay, but will shine in the age to come. Amen.